You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 561 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and this is the final episode of the regular season as the Hawks were in action on this fine Wednesday. We'll get to the game, a, a weird, kind of interesting, obviously, game that went down to the final, final seconds of the contest. We'll talk more about that later on in the pod, but a couple of pieces of news to hit on, some interesting things and some things to keep an eye on over the summer that I want to start with here. So first and foremost, um, I guess I was I was the one that broke this news. I'm not really sure how public this was until today, but the Hawks are officially not going to the Utah Summer League this year. They are going to go to Las Vegas as usual, as they've been going to for years upon years now. But last year, you might remember the 2018, they went to Utah Summer League. That's not going to be happening this next year, um, which surprised some people when I tweeted about that earlier in the day on Wednesday. Um, this is my opinion now of the rest of this, but uh, I would say it didn't work out perfectly as intended last year, considering they were actually down two players to where they thought they were going to be when they probably accepted the invitation. Kevin Herter, of course, was not able to play uh, based on his injury, and then DeAndre Bembry was a pretty late scratch for the event, having not been cleared injury-wise when he was playing to play there as well. So having those two guys not be available, and then all of the sort of the grind that it is, I think people sort of forget this, but I know it's summer league games are not necessarily fully fully sanctioned NBA games, but trying to play you know eight eight times in like an 11 day period is a, a bit of a grind on these guys I know they were giving guys days off Trey Young had a day off uh, during summer league I know John Collins got shut down a little bit early but at the same time definitely uh, one of those moments when I was not too surprised when I heard this and uh, you know as a result of all the grinding last year um, you know I guess ironically it would almost be better set up to be going this year to Utah and having the extra time because of the presumed influx of draft picks they're going to be making their way to the Hawks roster they have uh, as many as five picks in this draft is definitely definitely four maybe five picks and then of course you still have guys like Kevin Herter Amari Spellman Jalen Adams Deontay Davis that should be going to Vegas as well but all things considered no not a huge deal here probably only three games changeover and uh, there's a little bit of a formatting change to Las Vegas that we'll talk about when we get closer to that as well so uh, the Hawks will be going to Vegas no big surprise there I will, I will be there to follow follow them and chronicle them, but no no trip to Utah this time around. Uh, the other big thing, I guess, and this is probably more important in the grand scheme of things, obviously, is that the uh, the season's now over for everyone, and that means we have a little bit more clarity on the draft lottery odds. The Hawks, of course, have been locked into the number five spot for a couple days now, but um, as a result of the Mavs losing and the Grizzlies winning on Wednesday night, we have some further clarity, not all the way decided just yet until the lottery, of course, but even in terms of just odds themselves. But the Wizards are going to enter at number six overall with 32 wins. And then there's a three-way tie between Memphis, Dallas, and New Orleans at 33 wins for number seven overall. Those three teams will split the lottery odds evenly. So we know now that the Hawks will have a 73.8% chance to get the pick from Dallas once again, a 73.8% chance that the Hawks will get the pick from the Dallas Mavericks, which, which leaves about a 26% chance that they will not have the pick. And that, that would only happen if Dallas were to jump into the top four. And uh, there is still a tiebreaker, though. So those three teams have basically an even, an even split on their actual lottery odds to draw into the top four. But after that, and, and actually it'll be this Friday from what I understand, 
there'll be a tiebreaker drawing for the post lottery position in the event that one of those teams or two of those teams or three of those teams do not make their way into the top four. Um, so what we know at this point in time is, as, as what I said a second ago, the Hawks have a 73.8% chance to get the pick. And the one other thing that we do know is that Dallas, the Dallas pick cannot be number six overall. Uh, if it was number five overall, they were going to keep it anyway. That's now off the table as well. So Dallas has a chance to get in the top four. If that happens, they will keep their pick. And if the Hawks get it, though, it will be at the very, very best number seven overall. So the the longtime perfect dream for Hawks fans of having number one and number six is now no longer in play. The best the Hawks can do is number one and number seven. And we, we will not know the floor of Dallas's pick until we uh, know the, the results of the tiebreaker scenario between those three teams. So um, it could be the floor could be as high as uh, as 10, could be actually a little bit lower than that based on, you know, how, how the ping pong balls draw in the, in the linebackers and uh, the tiebreaker scenario on Friday. But all, once again, last thing, last time we'll say this for today's podcast, 73.8% chance that the Hawks get the pick, and that means that it lands outside the top five. A 26.2% chance that the Mavs pick in the top four, and as a result of that, they would keep their pick. So we'll have plenty more of that, but that's now finalized, at least in the way that the, that the standings were finalized. More tiebreakers to come, and of course the lottery. Nothing is final, final until the lottery transpires in mid-May. So... With all that said, I know that's plenty to talk about so far, and then we have a lot to talk about about the game. So I want to take a second to, take a, to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. I really appreciate everyone that's already done that. Thank you so much for doing that. And it's probably even a better time right now, considering it's the end of the season, to ask everyone to go ahead and subscribe, leave positive feedback if you like the podcast. Please, um, you know, leave leave written reviews and leave, you know that that positive feedback and those positive comments really help to have people find the podcast and also help in our rankings and all that fun stuff. So check us out on Himal- on Himalaya and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Overcast, all those platforms, we should be there. And uh, please check us out. All right, we're back to talk about the game itself, and uh, an interesting one. I'm not going to do the full-scale deep dive that I would do in a lot of different circumstances because, you know, by the time this game tipped off, we knew that it didn't matter to either team in any way. Indiana, as a result of that, pulled a lot of their players. In fact, they were down six of their top eight guys, I would say. You know, no Thad Young, no Demonte Sabonis, no, no Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, no Miles Turner. Those guys were all late scratches, and then that that is in addition to Victor Oladipo and Wes Matthews. So, a pretty shorthanded roster for Indiana. They still had ten guys, but not necessarily the best ten guys in the world, and then the Hawks... We're closer to full strength. You know, Debman's still out, so they're at least weakened in some way. But the Hawks starters played well in this game. They were uh, better than Indiana starters. Uh, and I use starters in quotation marks because they're, they're not really the starters for Indiana. But they were in this game. It was the bench, though, that got annihilated by the Haw- Sorry for the Hawks in this game. And that kind of was uh, the reason why they were able to unable to uh, pull out the victory, losing by a final score of 135-134. to 134. We'll start at the top here, as we always do. An 8-2 run by Indiana to open up this game, set the turn a little bit. Then the Hawks did bounce back with an 8-2 of their own. And honestly, for most of this game, it was a single-digit game back and forth. Indiana did lead by 10 on a few occasions throughout the contest, getting up to 10 in the second quarter at one point, and then again in the third quarter at one point. But uh, for the most part, it was pretty... um, Hotly contested throughout. I will say it was not the it was not the greatest game that was played ever in the NBA because you know defensively there was not a lot of intensity. There was more down the stretch. I will say by the time they got to the fourth quarter, these teams did want to win. It was pretty clear that they sort of ramped it up a little bit. Prior to that, there was not a lot of competition being <laughs> being put forth on the defensive end of the floor, and that kind of showed itself, especially on Atlanta side. Um, 
the first quarter, uh, there, I got, there was a big dump from DeAndre Bembry that was nice to see. Otherwise, it's pretty lackluster on both ends of the floor, and the defense was a struggle the entire first half. In fact, at halftime, the Hawks had allowed a 139 defensive rating. That is really, really brutal. And uh, to be fair to them, they did improve it in the second half. But 35 points in the first quarter, 38 in the second quarter, 36 in the third quarter for Indiana before finally cooling off a little bit in the fourth. And that wasn't a fluke. The defense was not very good <laughs> in this game. Um, some other notes to hit on here. Second quarter-wise, the Hawks played a small lineup with Justin Anderson at the four and John Collins at the five that I really enjoyed for a brief time. That was good to see just as an experimental piece. Not too much to take away from that given that it was the, you know, playing against the B team of Indiana, but still good to see them always trying some stuff in this late stage. Um, there was a nice stretch where uh, Collins had two dunks in a row in the second quarter, including a typically beautiful pick-and-roll pass from Trey Young to John Collins for a dunk. That was nice to see. Um... I guess the uh, most memorable moment until the final moments of this game was uh, Trey Young getting drilled in the face by Kylo, by Kylo Quinn mid-second quarter. Fortunately, Trey was okay, but sort of a weird play at mid-court, and it looked pretty bad on, on O'Quinn's side. Um, I don't think it was intentional that he was trying to hit him in the face the way that he did, but O'Quinn ended up basically clotheslining Young. Um, you know, depending on the severity of that, you can kind of take what you will. But if you saw this play, it wasn't a surprise to me that he was ejected. It was a flagrant two foul. I don't think it would have been like completely egregious if he wasn't ejected. It was definitely a flagrant in some way, but when you get into the head head and neck area, you get in some trouble there, to be honest with you. So Quinn only played 10 minutes. He was the only center really on the floor for Indiana in this game, and as a result of that, they had to play small for basically the entire second half after O'Quinn left the game. But right after that happened, Young kind of awakened, had his best stretch of the entire game, frankly. He had a nice steal, then hit a dip, then hit a deep three, and then after that had a three-point play. So had a personal 6-0 run, and then it was an 8-0 run overall by the Hawks to take the lead, actually, late in the second quarter. From there, it was all Indiana for a while, but um, other than that, the the, uh, off, the offensive second quarter was really good from, from the Hawks. It was four, They had scored 41 points. In the second quarter, that included 12 points each from from Trey Young and John Collins, and uh, Collins had a first half double double. In fact, the Hawks didn't even shoot that well in the first in the second quarter when they were awesome with 41 points. They had nine offensive rebounds in the quarter, and that's pretty ridiculous. Um, considering they, only, they had 22 for the game, which is a lot for this Hawks team, and having nine in a quarter is off the charts. So just that's, some, that's probably the biggest reason why they were able to do that. Still, the defense kind of let them down for the most part. Um, in the second in the second half, Indiana did open it up a little bit. Um, they actually played without Darren Collison, who might have been their best player available in this game, and he didn't play in the second half. They definitely pedaled off a little bit as they look ahead to the playoffs. But um, a nice stretch where there was some threes from Torian Prince and Kevin Herter off of a filthy skip pass, by the way, that one with Herter from Trey Young to get back within three. Herter made his first four threes in this game. There was a nice pushback from Indiana, but the starters were cooking. They had all had 14 points or more through three quarters. In the fourth, there were more fireworks, to be honest with you. Indiana went up by 10 pretty much right away, but then the Hawks had, a, had an 8-0 run. It took a little while to actually construct almost three minutes, but got back within two at 121 to 119. Then it was a three-point play by DeAndre Bembry to tie the game, and actually Justin Anderson hit a three with 3.46 to go to take the lead for the Hawks for the first time in a very, very long time at that point in time. Um, from there, it was all back and forth until the final moments. Um, both Alex Lynn and Torian Prince missed threes with the Hawks down by one, but they got to stop. Trey Young had a floater to take the lead again with 109 remaining. After that, they were unable to get a stop. It was TJ Leaf getting a dunk out of a timeout, but then uh, Collins to Lynn um, for another dunk back uh, back to take the, to take the lead once again. Edmund Sumner from the Pacers that hit a jump shot that actually had some help from the rim to fall through, and then Trey Young missed at the rim to uh, leave Indiana in a favorable spot with 30 seconds to go. 
Um, the Hawks did get another stop, though, and then they got the ball with 3.8, 3.6 seconds to go, I should say. Inbound pass to Torian Prince, who drilled a, now what people have almost almost forgotten already, a, about a 28-footer for the lead. Uh, I'm not sure that was the play that they wanted, but Prince was open. It was a deep shot, to be honest, but he was open, and he, and he buried it for the lead with 1.1 seconds to go. But uh, as you probably have seen by now, the Pacers then took a timeout, advanced the ball, and then uh, threw an inbounds pass to Sumner in the corner, and he was fouled by DeAndre Bembry. It was not really a controversial foul call. He definitely fouled him. Uh, you know, that's just unfortunate in some ways. I'm not really sure what Bembry's plan was on that play. I often laud him for his defense. It was not a great play by him by any means. By any means. But Sumner shouldered the line, made all three, and uh, gave the Pacers the lead by one with .3 seconds to go, and the Hawks couldn't get a shot off. So um, sort of a weird, strange, dismal way to end the season in some ways. It doesn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things, but even Lloyd Pierce said it was kind of a fitting ending to the year in some ways, but, um, you know, kind of a brutal way to end, end it, considering it was, a, it was a pretty memorable game. Um, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure it was well played necessarily, but the way that it was back and forth down the stretch, it was kind of fun when things got rolling down the stretch of the game. And then to wait, you know, you know, you never love as someone who's observing a basketball game to see it end on three free throws. And I guess credit to, credit to Sumner for making all three of them. I know all the media were ready for, were ready to go home, so not missing one of those was very nice for some of us. Um, just one of those things, to be honest with you. But the Hawks didn't get to 30 wins ultimately. They got, they they stalled at 29. Probably could have won more if they had been put putting the pillow to the floor down the stretch of the season. But you know, all things considered, not not an important result, just kind of a brutal one in some ways, considering the way that it ended. Uh, one thing I wanted to say quickly before we get to the individual players is that this could have been the last night of Vince Carter's career. I'm not sure it's going to be. In fact, you know, Vince has been pretty clear now on the record a few times that he wants to play, but until he's signed, you kind of have to keep your guard up a little bit on that front. So I want to at least point that out. You know, Vince didn't have a great game by any means, and I kind of hope he's not done based on that one. He didn't really have the fanfare, of course, that uh, guys like Dirk and uh, Dwayne Wade got down the stretch. But, um, you know, Vince in the locker room was saying again that he wants to play again, and uh, Lloyd Pierce kind of just def- deferred and praised Vince for his leadership throughout the season. wasn't trying to talk about players stuff because you know he's not the GM. But just for the record, I know people ask that question of head coaches, but he's not the one making the decision. But they everybody loves Vince. He's universally beloved in that locker room. So. You know, I have a feeling that the Hawks will be interested in bringing him back, and at the very least, I think someone would bring Vince back if he wanted to play. But worth pointing out because at his age, it's nothing. Nothing is assured, so it could have been the last day of his career. I, hope, I doubt that it is. I think I think he'll be playing next year, but I wanted to say that out loud. So um, we'll get into the individual players briefly here. Um, the, you know, in short, the bench was brutal. Uh, that was the reason why the Hawks lost this game. The starters, again, beat up on Indiana starters throughout the game, but the bench was really bad. The only guy that reached double figures off the bench was DeAndre Bembry, who had the bonehead play down the stretch, did have 11 points and two rebounds and assist and a steal. Had some nice moments along the way, including a big-time dunk. I wanted to play some audio for you about Bembry, so I'm going to start there from Lloyd Pierce from before this game, actually. Um, Bembry played in all 82 games. He was the only player on the team. Uh, Trey Young was on pace to do that, and then he sat the game um, the other night um, on Sunday. So Bembry got to all 82, and considering all of the um, sort of trials that he had his first two years, not being able to get healthy and not having a real rotation role, I asked Lloyd Pierce before the game about Bembry and what what that kind of said about him, that he was able to bounce back and play in all 82 and kind of just be a a big key cog in what the Hawks wanted to do this year. Yeah, I think it's great for him um, coming into a season with the new staff after what he's gone through for two years in the league. You know, good luck, bad luck, on court, off court. Um, and, you know, I, I say, and this is this will be key for all our guys, you know, his summer was most important. And he was around uh, a big portion of the summer here in Atlanta with the new staff, 
that he didn't know but trusted. And he was committed to all of our workouts. Uh, he was on board to play in summer league and he just didn't get cleared with, with the injury and continued to come to the summer leagues and be a part of everything we did and continue to work. And so there's no surprise, um, you know, good things happen when you put in the work and, and that's going to be the education for our players as we leave. Uh, this summer is more important for a lot of guys, but for all of us, uh, we want to get better, we want to grow, and he's the perfect example. He's had every reason not to have a consistent year um, based on his first two years, but what he did over the summer is the reason why he had a very consistent year and being able to play in all 82 games. So yeah, I want to share that insight with you a little bit on just the window into the mind of Pierce and memory and all that stuff. It wasn't like a standout game for DeAndre, but you know, worth noting and putting a star by the fact that he was able to play all season without any incident, really injury-wise, and was a solid contributor. His career was definitely up in the air before this season, so having a nice full season of strong performance in some ways was good for him. He'll enter next year on the Hawks roster again in his fourth season, and then we'll talk about that much, much more as we get going, but I wanted to at least paint that picture a little bit. I mentioned before Vince Carr struggled in this game, 12 minutes, did not score, actually had one point was 0-4 from the floor, 0-3 from three, pretty quiet day. Um, not a lot of action for Isaac Humphreys or Deontay Davis. I referenced this before, but Indiana going small because of the Kyle O'Quinn Kyle Quinn injury meant that there weren't a lot of bigs playing. It was basically Len was the only guy playing center other than John Collins, and, and especially in the second half, and that was probably the right move in some ways, so not a lot to talk about there. Jalen Adams didn't play very much, only nine minutes, which is kind of a surprise. He's been playing more than that for most of the stretch run. The Hawks went without a point guard a couple times, went with uh, backcourts of Baysmore and Bembry, for instance, at different periods. Herter as well had some ball handling responsibilities. Nothing really to flag too much there. Again, Indiana was playing some weird lineups, playing some big lineups too. They were playing Edmund Sumner at point guard for a while in second half, so with Corey Joseph. Those guys are a little bit bigger than Adams is, so no no big real uh, panic point, but I want to at least point that out as well. Justin Anderson was had a nice game in some ways, seven point three, three rebounds in his 13 minutes, made his one three-point attempt that he was out there for, and then Kent Bazemore struggled a little bit, was two of ten from the floor, seven points, but just on the whole, Everyone on the bench was outscored in their plus-minus by double digits for the case of Bembry, Carter, and Bazemore, who played a lot of minutes. So the bench just really struggled. That was kind of worth pointing out. To the starters, everyone had 17 points or more, so that's probably a good sign to start with. Kevin Herter was the low man on the totem pole, but he was really efficient. Six of eight from the floor and five of six from three for Kevin. He had 17 points, five rebounds, three assists, a steal, a block, and three turnovers along the way. He was plus six. Herter shot it well, which is always good. I will say he was not playing with a lot of physicality. I've pointed out at various times when he's been sort of streaky in that way. When he's played with physicality, it's easy to notice that. When he doesn't, it's also pretty easy to notice that. And I thought he was pretty passive and got pushed around a little bit in this spot. Obviously, you can't blame him too much in a game that didn't really matter for anybody, but I, w- I want to see it. It's definitely a pivot point. In fact, Lloyd Pierce said after the game specifically that Herter and Young, a couple of the, of the young guys, to have to get stronger over the, over the offseason. I think Herter's probably the number one case of that. You know, Young was very durable this year, of course, played, played uh, every time he was available. He was able to go out and do it and play a lot of minutes and uh, got, you know, got stronger as the season went along. Herter wasn't like he tailed off too much, but I think um, just playing with physicality at his position is much more important in a lot of ways, so that's something to keep in mind with him over the summer. Alex Lynn had a nice first quarter, but cooled off a little bit. Still at 20-10, and 10, which is crazy. Uh, seems like that was almost a disappointment with the way he shot. He was 6-17 of 17 from the floor in this game. It's still you know, a 20-10 game for Alex Lynn. Shouldn't be passed over too much. He was plus 13 as well. Torian Prince hit the big shot to what, what looked like it was going to be a game winner in some ways. Uh, had 23 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. 
he had an up and down game. Shot it well though. The the duo of Prince and Herter combined to make ten of fourteen threes. That was a huge pivot point in this game. Prince didn't play that well, I didn't think, but he did shoot it well, which is nice. And uh, you know, same problems in some ways that he often has, which is some some lackluster attentiveness, I should say, defensively. Didn't have, play a, that well on that end of the floor, but still had a nice game overall. Trey Young wasn't um, feeling it offensively, at least as a scorer in this game. Was 6 of 18 from the floor. Did have 23 points, got to the line 11 times, but that's something that I keep praising Trey Young for, especially in the last couple of months, just being, being able to get to the line and being crafty, creating fouls out of, out of uh, I guess, situations where he doesn't really have an advantage, being um, smart in that way and knowing how to draw fouls. Didn't have it going from in terms of just his, his overall efficiency, but ended up being okay in efficiency based on the fact that he made all those free throws. Made one three, but had, had the big spurt in the third quarter that was really helpful and was great passing, as he, as he always is. 11 assists. Did have six turnovers, which is too many, but still 11 assists. Can't really be too bad about that, and it was a good night for Trey on the whole. And then finally, John Collins had 20 points and 25 rebounds. A career high for him in that particular thing. Nine offensive rebounds, 16 defensive rebounds. Some of that offensive rebounds were him getting his own misses in uh, old Moses Malone fashion in some ways, but at six assists as well. You know, Collins, I don't think he was quite as good as the 20-25 would make him be in this game, but he was still very good. Probably the Hawks' best player on the floor, and I thought he had a nice game. Eight 15 from the floor, one of two from three, three of four from the free throw line. He was in good spirits after the game and, you know, acknowledged the career high because he was asked about it, but said it wasn't necessarily the same sort of feeling that it's if you get a win, of course, which is the right thing to say. But 36 minutes, I thought Collins played very well. Um, and yeah, I, I can probably go on, go on and on about that, but I thought he just played well and the numbers back that up, obviously. So all that to say, I, I, you know, it was one of those games. I don't want to make too much of it as game 82. The defense was not good. The offense was actually really good at the end of the game. At the end of the game, the Hawks had a 124.4 offensive rating. That's very, very good. They made 17 threes. They had 29 assists, 22 offensive rebounds. They played well offensively. No question about that. And of course that, that, that is, um, sort of evidenced by the score. Defensively, though, it was it was a an adventure throughout the game, and it was uh, that's kind of what happens when you're not, when you, sometimes when you when you know you're not playing for much, and uh, that is what happened here. So, um, at any, at any rate, uh, here we are. So. You know, that's going to wrap it up for this particular game. I do want to play a one bit of audio for you that I wanted to get out with um, before the end of the season, all that fun stuff that was actually said before the game. But um, Pierce was actually asked sort of broad, big picture about the growth of the team that he's seen so far. Again, this is before the game, but he gave a pretty insightful answer, about two minutes worth. So I want to end with that and sort of end on a high note because Pierce has drawn a lot of praise, and even for me, for the way that he's managed the culture. He, tw- he talked about that after the game as well, just the fact that the culture of the team has been really upbeat. This these guys are like definitely, you know, a strong team, strong locker room. The veteran leadership has been very good. The young guys are on the same page. It's been a very nice situation for the Hawks, despite the lack of success, big picture. But uh, here is Pierce um, talking about the growth that he has seen over the course of the full season. Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, early on we had a lot of coming together issues that we were trying to work our way through. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, I feel like we have this wonderful identity as a team. I feel like we have an unbelievable culture because of our spirit and our energy. And um, we have high character guys. And so the maturation comes from knowing who we are as a team, ball movement, body movement, knowing how we like to be as teammates, um, sharing in each other's success, rooting for each other, having officials come and tell us to sit down on the sideline because we're up cheering. Um, That's been the biggest growth is we've been able to do things together. And so when an individual like Trey has a great 
you know, spur the games. And when John goes uh, bonkers on a double-double, 33-19, and 19, and um, Kevin explodes in Philly, it's the other guys and the support that he has when he has those, they have those type of games. Um, when you see Kevin do that and everyone supports him, well, you're just waiting for the next guy to do it. Our guys were going crazy the other night when Alex was, was making shots and taking the ball from the three-point line and dunking on guys. Uh, but I think that's a testament to our guys, and I think part of the maturation is they've supported each other. Um, and you, you, It's easy when you have a bad night, whatever you define as a bad night, that your teammates, someone else is having a good night, and you're able to support them and not worry so much about yourself. And I think that's important as we continue to support each other and, and we'll grow up through it. And I think, you know, moving forward, that's, that's the message I have. How do we support each other? You know, off season, summer, Vegas, workouts, all those things, or how do we grow individually, but how do we grow as a team as well? And you can do that in the summer. We will do that this summer. And that's a big focus for us. So with that, I will leave you for this uh, final night of the regular season, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. We are not going anywhere. If you're a new listener to the podcast, we do not stop the train as we get going here. In fact, if anything, we probably pick it up a little bit as the draft is something that I really enjoy that I cover over at Dime Mag. So I'm uh, deep diving into the draft. Also, PeachtreeHoops.com will be doing extensive player profile series in, in advance of the draft and some player review stuff in terms of the Hawks roster over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that in that space as well as on this podcast. I'm planning to do a, about a three, three or four part um, player review series but with a guest of choice talking about all kinds of stuff, deep diving into some players and stay tuned for all of that fun stuff. So X interviews are Friday, sorry, are Thursday. I'm planning to be in the building for some of that at least hopefully. But uh, you know, in the meantime, we'll have a new podcast in the near future. May not be until over the weekend or something like that but uh stay tuned to this space please subscribe to this podcast we will not be quite every single day of course over the off season but we'll still be here every week with at least one or two podcasts and uh as we look ahead to the draft and i guess the lottery first then the draft and summer league free agency plenty of content to talk about in this space so please stay tuned and we'll see you guys in a couple days